It's a season of seeking. We drive to malls seeking the best parking. That's how I know if it's God's will for me to be there or not. That's what I say. God, if it's your will for me to be here, let me find something up front. If it's not, we turn around and we go. Not God's will to be there. Uh, We bounce from store to store seeking the best gift. We scale rooftops like Clark Griswold seeking the best Christmas decorations. We walk into our closets seeking the best outfit. We thumb through cookbooks seeking the best recipes. We surf and seek through channels seeking the best football games. Come on, somebody. We look in our houses seeking the best place to hide from our in-laws. Got quiet in this Methodist church right there. And finally, but not least, we look in our wallets seeking the best credit card to pay for it all. Okay, good. Y'all don't know that? Y'all don't know nothing about that. Awesome. But Christmas is a season of seeking. It's a season of seeking. And the attitude of seeking is nothing new. And so we're going to look at the inaugural Christmas over 2,000 years ago. We're going to see a number of people whose lives were really centered on seeking. And today we're going to look at two types of individuals, two seekers. And I think that through both of them, we're going to be able to see ourselves in both of these lives. In Matthew chapter 2, there's a group of prominent magi or wise men, if you will, and they were studying the stars or doing the astronomy thing, and God revealed to them that his son was born to be king. And every time that you find someone who is truly seeking after God, God will always reveal himself to them. Anytime you find someone who is true, God is not playing hide and go seek with people, okay? Anytime that someone is seeking after God, God will always reveal himself to them. And so the wise men, they go on this journey of thousands of miles long to go find the Christ child. It takes them to Jerusalem, and once they hit the city gates, um, they begin to ask this question. But before we get there, this past week we did a lot of digging and a lot of research and uh, we, we come up, we, we actually have unearthed who the three wise men are. We, we, uh, we, we, we found through archaeology and through all these studies and talked to biblical scholars out the wazoo. And through, that's great for a whole lot of them, okay? <laughs> and we, we found the three wise men. Go ahead and, and show, we know who those guys are. There they are. So we found them. So. And if y'all are saying, who's that man in the middle? That's our brother. What are you talking about? So. Man in the middle, if you weren't here last week, last Sunday night, you missed an incredible night of entertainment as Dwayne Hill came and did Christmas in the country for us. Uh, We had a fantastic night with the kids. He was absolutely hilarious, hysterical, uh, had the house rolling, and so we had a fantastic night. But then it just pops up, those are the three wise men. And so, and everyone who agrees with that, uh, well, we just know you do. You don't have to say anything. But the wise men come into the city gates in Jerusalem, and they ask in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. Now the subplot in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Well, why was King Herod disturbed? Why was he so worried? Well, to understand this passage, we've got to blow some dust off some history books. 
And we've got to get up close and we've got to get up personal to this first type of seeker, King Herod. See, King Herod was a guy who, he was a seeker. Yes, he was. But he sought to maintain and keep power. That's what he was seeking after. When King Herod was born, the operative word in his life was power. His father taught him, as you study history, his father taught him from the very get-go how to get power, how to maintain power, and how to destroy anyone who got in their way. When King Herod, when he hit his 20s, he saw his father, who was king, murdered by a bunch of palace plotters who poisoned him. And King Herod did not like that, did not enjoy watching his father die. So when he became king at the age of 25 years of age, he had a huge party at the palace. And in this party, he invited everyone to the party who had a part in his father's death. He said, hey, come, we just want to have a good time. We want to start the rain off right. They all came and they were all enjoying a fantastic party. And then he called in his hitman and systematically his hitmen, they killed them off one by one by one. That all happened in the first week of his reign. That's a good way to start off a 30-year reign, isn't it? One day, King Herod had his wife's grandmother and his wife's brother killed. Now put yourself in, in her sandals. She's at home making dinner one evening, and King comes home and puts his briefcase on the table, and she says, honey, what, what happened at the office today? What what took place? Tell me about your day. Well, I killed your grandma and I killed your brother. That makes for some interesting dinner conversation, doesn't it? We'll pick up a bowl and let's have some soup and talk about it. Right? King Herod was so paranoid and so power hungry, he also killed three of his sons. Three of his sons. And one of the sons he killed the same week that he, King Herod, died. He knew he was dying. He'd been sick for over a year. Knew he was dying. And he didn't want his son. He thought his son was power hungry. <laughs> Imagine that. That's like me calling someone fat. You know, <laughs> come on. <laughs> All right, you'll get it later. <laughs> King Herod, you know, so power hungry. And he thought his son was so power hungry that he had his son killed the very last week that King Herod was alive, he didn't want him taking the throne. But if we talk about King Herod being a bloodthirsty, sadistic leader, we also have to talk about the fact that he was very benevolent. He was kind and he was tenderhearted. He held clothing and food drives for homeless. The Jewish people who were all around, he decided to finance out of his own wallet the rebuilding of the temple. Now, understand he didn't do that just to be a nice guy. He did that to keep everyone on his side. King Herod, you the man. You the man. Over the next couple of days, we're probably going to watch a movie, if you haven't already, called It's a Wonderful Life. Go ahead and throw that first picture up there. How many of you have ever seen It's a Wonderful Life? How many of you are living that right now? How many like a word before marriage? No, I'm just kidding. It's a Wonderful Life. And if you think back to It's a Wonderful Life, you might remember a scene with, uh, remember a guy named Potter? I believe his name was J.C. Potter. He makes sausage, right? No, his name was just Potter. Remember Potter? There's a scene where Potter calls in Jimmy Stewart. Go to the next slide. It's this scene right here. And he tries to manipulate Jimmy Stewart, and he tries to use him and control him and pull the purse strings. 
if you would take that old bald head guy right there and write Herod across the front of his head, that's kind of what Herod was like, okay? Just trying to throw a, a, just a picture out there. That's the mentality here that we talk about when we talk about Herod. To kind of give you Herod's swan song, again, he had been sick for about a year, knew he was going to die, and he reasoned to himself that no one, when he died, was going to mourn, weep, and cry at his funeral. <laughs> he thought, no one's going to miss me, no one loves me, and no one's going to cry for me when I'm gone. So here's what he did. He calls in all the favorite sons and daughters of the prominent people of the land. And he pulls them in, and he has this giant party. How many would be a little bit nervous if you got an invite to Herod's party? Right? Hey, Christmas party at Herod's palace. Come, let's hang out. No, no, no. I'm rearranging my sock drawer. Right? But King Herod was so sadistic. What he did is he invited all the prominent men and women, their sons and daughters, invited them to the palace for a party. And when he invited them to the party, he was in the last week of his life, and he hired people to come in and to kill all the sons and daughters because he knew that people would weep and cry and mourn over them. And he just took that as if they were weeping and crying and mourning over himself. Wow. That guy was messed up, wasn't he? He, was. yeah. he needs to spend some time talking to Dr. Phil. <laughs> so now you understand King Herod. Now you have a kind of a better understanding of who this guy was. So let's go back to the text now, because we'll see the why. Now we know the why behind the verse of Matthew 2, 2 and 3. There, there's these naive wise men, and they come in, and they've heard that a new king is born. And I'm sure all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were telling them, be quiet, get that off your Facebook, man. King Herod will see it, right? right. They're, they're on Snapchat. They're showing where they're going. They're like, man, pull that off social media. King Herod's going to know. And it says that not only was King Herod disturbed, but the verse goes on to say that all of Jerusalem with him. Why? Because when, oh, we'll get there in a second. Never mind. The Bible says that when they heard that he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem. In other words, when King Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. My mom had a little deal hanging above the kitchen sink that said, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And that was truth. Right? And so with King Herod, it's the same thing. So what does someone do who's power hungry like King Herod? What does someone do who spent his entire life wielding power, keeping and dominating people with power? What does he do when someone comes up and someone says, hey, where's the real king at? How many know that puts him on high alert? So King Herod, he's the CEO of the 3M Corporation. Herod made some appointments. And he called some religious leaders and some scribes. And he said, guys, I want you to show me from God's word. Where's the Messiah going to be born? And they answered and they told him, he'll be born in Bethlehem. Well, then he pulls in the Magi. He's got Bethlehem in his crosshairs now. And he pulls in the Magi, the wise men. And he asked them, he said, guys, I know you're into astronomy. I know you're brilliant. I know you're wealthy. Lay your charts out before me. And kind of give me a brief astronomy lesson because I want to know at what time was this king born? And the Magi, the three wise men, they told him he was born about a year and a half to two years ago. And then King Herod says something. He says, I'll tell you guys what. You go to Bethlehem and you worship the king. And then you tell me where he is because I want to come and I want to worship him too. I'm a man of God. 
And I too want to find the real king. Now by now, the Magi, the wise men, had probably read on Facebook where Herod was messed up. They probably had talked and heard this from other people, that he had a temper tantrum, that he had rage, that he called in his hitmen, and he went to Bethlehem. And, and, you know, and so the, the, the wise men knew this. Well, the wise men did not return. And so this enraged Herod even more. So now he sends his hitmen to Bethlehem, and they killed every male child, two years of age, and younger. Now get this picture. You're having family dinner and an armed guard walks in, kicks in the door, takes your two-year-old son and kills him before your very eyes. That is the order of King Herod. That's Herod. I told you he was the CEO of the 3M company. We did three things that we're going to talk about that made him the CEO of the 3M company. Go ahead and flash those up there. We know that King Herod, he misused, he misled, and he mistreated. He misused, if you're taking notes, you can write that down. He misused, he misled, and he mistreated. Now some of you are saying, okay, Jared, this has been a nice history lesson up until now. But how does this apply to our life? Because I believe that even in myself, there's a little bit of King Herod in our hearts. Even in me. And not to his extreme. Not to the craziness. But we too, as men and as women, we deal with power and control. We want to control what we can control. We want to control our life. We want to control people's uh, input. We want to control situations in our life. And if power and control is left unchecked in our life, in my life, it can mess us up. It can mess us up. So let's stop right here. And let's do a Herod heart analysis. Y'all ready? This is better than anything the Heart Hospital down Oklahoma City can offer. The Herod Heart Analysis. And I want to ask you to locate some areas in your life. And I want to ask you to, first of all, locate an area. And this this might not touch you, but maybe it touches someone that you know. Maybe it touches a person sitting right next to you right now, and you want to let them know, hey, listen up. Okay? But (laughs) don't do that. But... Maybe we're here, maybe there's one, or maybe there's someone who'll be listened by CD or over the internet. That we tend to misuse people. We tend to see people as pawns to get things that we want. I'll tell you this, um, in ministry, it's easy. In ministry, it's easy to have grand vision for, for buildings and programs and structures and all these things and see people as our avenue to get there. But let me pause right here and let me say one thing. We're blessed with a pastor who knows that God did not call us to build buildings and programs and structures. God called us to build people. We have a pastor whose heart is to build people. All that other stuff will take care of itself. When I first came here and I first talked to pastor about coming here and I begged him, please, please, please let me come. He... uh, took a little while, but you got it. Uh, one thing he, he says, we walked through the facility. I'll never forget him saying this. He said, Jared, if the Spirit of God is not in this place and people aren't here to worship, this is nothing but a big fancy hay barn. This isn't about the building. It's about the people. And I think a lot of times we, we can, in the ministry, we can look and we can see things that God's laid before us and visions that God's laid before us 
and we start to misuse things in front of us because we want to accomplish a vision. We need to be reminded, every Sunday school teacher, every leader, every, every board member, every person that plays a part in leadership on this, in this church, it's not about the structure, it's not about the program, it's about people. Yes. It's about building people. And so may we never be caught using people, misusing people, just using people to get what you want. But maybe it's not, only, maybe it's not in our job, maybe it's not in our ministry, maybe it's in our marriage. Oh, I'm meddling now, aren't I? Maybe it's in our marriage. Are we tempted to use our spouse? We don't invest. We, we come home and we demand. We, we're, we're misusing them. We're misusing them. Well, as long as he keeps the paychecks coming in the bank, I'm a happy woman. No, that's not... That's not... Come on, someone laughed. <laughs> Someone's like, amen, brother. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Honestly, that's misusing. That's misusing. And again, we're not on the extreme of Herod. You're not going out killing people. But maybe we're killing our marriage. Maybe we're killing a relationship. Do do we use people? And I pray, I challenge you, if, if you're in that boat, would you pray this prayer with me? today, would you pray, God, help me to serve them instead of use them. Help me to serve them instead. And if you'll pray this prayer, God will give you windows of opportunity to serve the people that maybe we're seeing as objects in our life. Maybe when you get home, you just cook dinner for your husband or for your wife, or maybe, you know, it's someone at the job site, whatever it might be. But God, give me an opportunity to serve and not misuse. That's a powerful message. When we misuse people, we've got a hint of Herod in our heart. And we don't want a hint of Herod in our heart, do we? No, we don't. No. No. Say that three times fast. In what area of your life are we tempted to not misuse people, but maybe mislead people? I ask myself that question. What areas of my life do I tend to exaggerate things? What areas of my, you know, how good OSU football is going to be next year? Um... Come on. (laughs) That's not why. That's a faith statement in the name of Jesus. We're going to win, right? Right. And so, (laughs) moving on. (laughs) But what areas do we tend to mislead people? What areas are we not totally square when it comes to our, our dealings? Do we lead people down a path and we tell them, hey, everything's going to be okay. But as they're walking, they're hearing the Jaws theme soundtrack. You know? What area is it? Instead of misleading people, why don't we just make this our prayer? God, help me to speak the truth to people in love. Help me to speak the truth to people in love. And maybe we're not misusing or misleading, but maybe we're just mistreating. Not like Herod, we don't kill anybody. Maybe we just kind of give them a cold shoulder. An area in our life, we don't let people too close. We cut them off. We use a silent treatment. During the holidays, we're going to be around, around a lot of relatives. Someone say amen. amen. That fly's even enjoying the message. 
we may have problems with some relatives. <laughs> Someone say amen. <laughs> some of us maybe have issues that we've never dealt with before. And we act like everything is a-okay. But come on, it really isn't. And I challenge you and I challenge myself. Instead of mistreating our relatives, why don't we take them aside this Christmas season and just whip them? No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Why don't we pull them aside? And why don't we just say, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, instead of hiding in the closet, is Uncle John gone yet? Because he's crazy. Right? Why don't we just pull them aside and say, you know what? There's been some issues between us. I don't want this anymore. Hallelujah. Let's make this right. Let's get this together. But before you have that conversation, pray this prayer. God, give me the ministry of reconciliation. Yes. Make it real and make it authentic in my life. Yes. Yes. See, Herod, he was the first kind of seeker. He sought, he sought to maintain power at all costs, whether it was misusing, misleading, or mistreating. But see, there's a second type of seeker I want to talk about. And the second type of seeker is one that's represented by the wise men. And the wise men, they're not, seeking to, they're, they're not looking to seek their power. They already have a lot of it. If you study them out, man, these guys were wealthy. They had power there. They're good to go. But they were still, even in the power they had, they were still seeking something. They were seeking the power. They were seeking him. And I love this text in Matthew 2, 9. Matthew 2, 9, it says, After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the Christ child was. These men were truly seeking the power. And every time a person is seeking the power, God will always hear this. God will always put a star in that seeker's life to point them to Christ. He will always do it. Just for a second, I want you to assign a name to the star that he put in your life. It could be a coach way back when. It could be a Sunday school teacher. It could be a friend. It could be a pastor. It could be a family member. But who was your, it could be a grandma, a grandpa, a mom or dad. But who was your star? When you were seeking after God, when you were going after God, God will always put a star in your life to direct you to where he is. In my life, it was a mom and it was a dad and it was a Sunday school teacher named Dolores fight. It was a children's church worker named Pat Lawson. It was people that the stars that God placed in my life that I could look at their life. I could look at the stars and I could be led and directed to where Jesus was. And I pray God make us all stars in this place. God fire something up in us that makes us all want to be a star that can lead other people to the truth of the gospel of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. God make us a star. And so this morning, I want you to assign a person to your star, assign a name to it, and this would be a great season, a great opportunity for you to write a note, write a card, and just tell them, thank you for being a star in my life. Thank you that when I was down and when I was out and when I didn't feel like going on, but I kept seeking, I kept searching, you were the one who guided the way. I'll pause while you're running around the church waving hankies right now. Because whether you realize or not, that's good. That's good stuff. Yes, it is. And we need to hear that. God's placed an earthbound star in your life. Maybe it's a person sitting next to you right now. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a wife. Whoever it is, you need to tell them, God placed you in my life, and I'm so glad for the star in my life. Thank you, 
These wise men, they had an earthbound travel guide, the star, to point them in the right direction. Now let's see what the wise men did. I, I told you that Herod was the CEO of the 3M company. Well, the wise men, they had their own company. And they, they dealt with 3D glasses. Okay? Because whenever you talk about their life, you, you can see the real depth of their search. You could see the elements very clearly. They had a different perspective than what Herod did. The Bible says in Matthew 2, 11, it says this. It says, coming to the house, they saw the child. Let me just stop right there. It says, in coming to the house, uh, not the manger. You see, Jesus was no longer in the manger. Mary and Joseph had moved into the house. Jesus was older now. Jesus was at least two years of age. And I know in nativities we see the... There's nothing wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with it. It's fine. Okay? It makes it a lot cheaper. That we, don't, we don't have to buy a stable and a house. Right? Yes. All good. Yes. Don't get legalistic. Yes. But now Jesus is two years of age or older. And it says, in coming to the house, they saw the child, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. To worship him means they expressed love to God. They gave the Christ child a physical sign of worship. They hit their knees. The first D is they were devoted. They were devoted to God. You see, it's one thing to be a seeker, to search for the power. And it's another thing to say, I have arrived. (laughs) This is it. This is what I'm looking for. See, a lot of people go from one place to one place to one place to one place searching. But the wise men were smart enough to say, okay, this is where the buck stops. The buck stops right here, and I'm giving my devotion to this king. And they bowed down and they worshiped him. Now let's go to the second D. They opened their treasure. They presented him with gifts. So we know they, they brought in gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Yes. And, it, man, there's so much meaning that I wish I had time. What time is it? Oh, we, we got time. We'll, we'll be out by one. Um, yes. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, there's so much meaning in those three gifts. Um, uh, Move that clock back 15 minutes, will you, Kevin? Gold, frankincense, and let me just hit myrrh. Myrrh was an ointment that that was uh, a place that was used in burial. But it was also an ointment that was placed upon the best sacrificial lamb. So when the priest or the people would bring their best sacrificial lamb to the temple and the priest would sacrifice that lamb, that lamb would be covered in, in uh, uh, myrrh, okay? And, and they knew that that was the best sacrifice. And so whenever these wise men came in and they offered this gift of myrrh, it was something that Joseph and that Mary would pick up on, that they understood that this wasn't just a regular birth, but this child was born to be a sacrifice, Okay, uh, I, man, there's so much there. We got to move on. Come back next week, and man, we'll we'll let you know all about it. Okay, um, but you can't just stop with devotion. As an expression of that devotion, second deed, they dedicated. They dedicated their lives and they dedicated their possessions. And we got to be willing to worship God and devote ourselves to Him. But we've also got to be dedicated. Dedicated to consider giving him our, our valuables, our time, our treasure, okay? our family, our hopes, our dreams, whatever's valuable to us. Yes. I believe these wise men realized that the purpose of their wealth in that moment 
was to present that to the Lord. And most experts, most scholars tell us that the gifts that the wise men brought actually financed a trip to Egypt for Mary and Joseph to get away from King Herod. Okay, does that make sense? The third D, okay? So you're devoted, you're dedicated. Matthew 2.12, they returned to their country by another route. The third D is they were directed. They were directed. True worship always entails a change of direction. Before I get here, raise your right hand. Come on, everybody in the house, raise your right hand. And say, when this is done, I still will love Pastor Jared. Put your hand down. Okay. We're about to take a trip back to old school Pentecost right here. True worship always entails a change of direction. If my life and your life is not changed, we have not truly met him. If my life and if your life, if our life is not changed, if we have not been redirected, we have not truly met him. Because when you truly meet the Lord, you always leave by a different route. Yes. Come on, somebody. Oh, that's good. Put your hands together if you still love me today. <laughs> I don't see Calvin clapping. Okay, okay. <laughs> He's thinking about it. He's praying about it. <laughs> the great D.L. Moody. He said the Bible was not written for our information. It was written for our transformation. The Bible is not a book of information. It's a book of application. We need to do and obey the principles of the word of God in our life. But it comes down to this. In some areas, we have a hen of Herod in our heart. In some areas... We want control. In some areas, we want power. God, in this, when it comes to my body, God, I, 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 need, your, I need your healing touch. God, when it comes to my family, I need your blessing. When it comes to my finances, I need your provision. When it comes to my Friday night, I need you to turn your back. Raise your right hand again. We have a white knuckle grip on certain areas in our life. We have segmented areas. And we talked about in our Sunday school class this morning, God did not call us to segment. He called us to surrender. He wants us to surrender. So when we're confronted by Christ the King, we can be like Herod in the 3M CEO corporation. We can say, no, this, this is my company here. I've got power and I've got control. And sad but true is a lot of people will walk out the doors of the church across the world today. And they will be holding on to that power and control when God wants to give them so much more. They'll be holding on to it. But on the other hand, there's 3D people. People like the wise men. People who just, they want to be devoted and dedicated and directed by God. And so I ask you this morning, will we do the 3D thing? Will we be a people who are devoted, dedicated, and directed to to the Lord? 
And when we become like that, then we will truly know what Christmas is all about. I no longer want to celebrate Christmas. I'll make a statement right here. I don't want to celebrate Christmas any longer. I want to experience Christmas. I want to experience the faith that Mary had. I want to experience the joy, the message that the shepherds and the angels brought, the pastor shared about last week. And I want to experience the life-changing power that the wise men experienced. I want to honor stars in my life today. And I want to position myself to be a star in someone else's life. I want to be dedicated, devoted, and directed by him. God, is there any area in my life where I've misused, misled, and mistreated? God, if there is, I repent. Illuminate that in my heart. Illuminate that in my spirit. God, I repent. And God, in that area, help me to be devoted, dedicated, and directed by you. We stand your feet with me today. This morning as you stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. As we're here this morning. I'm just asking us to do that Herod heart analysis. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Speak to our life right now. There's an area in our life that doesn't mean we're evil. Doesn't mean we're sadistic. Doesn't mean we're extreme like Herod. It just means there's a hint of Herod in our heart. And so maybe this morning there's an area in your life where we tend to misuse, mislead, or mistreat. It could be the smallest of things. But the enemy loves to take the smallest of things and turn it into the giant battles. And so this morning, if you're here and you would say, Pastor Jared, honestly, I do the Herod heart analysis. There may be that area. There may be a tendency in a certain direction, a certain segment of my life that I've segmented away from everything else. But today the Holy Spirit's found me. We're not here to call you out or embarrass you. God just wants to know that you're on board today. That you're hearing from the Holy Spirit. And that you recognize there needs to be a change. That before you leave here today, you need to leave by a different route. We're not leaving the same way we come in. If that's you this morning... On the count of three, will you just slip your hand up and right back down? One, two, three. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Hands up all over the place. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You that raise your hand, you would say, God, in that area, and I believe the Holy Spirit's just kind of illuminating that relationship or that area.
or that opportunity that's in your life to misuse, mislead, or mistreat, whatever it might be. The Holy Spirit's illuminating that in your heart right now. And here's what I want you to do. I just want you to take this moment, and I'm going to ask you to do something that the Bible calls repent. <laughs> Repentance. It's not an I'm sorry. It's a God, help me to change. I don't want to be like that. Maybe as a husband, as a wife, as a mom, as a dad, as an employer, as an employee. God, I don't want to be like that. And so I'm not here this morning just to say I'm sorry. I'm here this morning to say, God, change me. Change me. Change me in this moment. Change my heart and help me to be directed, devoted, and dedicated to you. Will you take that moment, you raise your hand, will you take that moment right now and just confess that to the Lord? Just right there where you're at. He'll meet you right where you're at. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for, uh, for speaking to, to so many across this body this morning. I thank you for, for speaking into our heart and to our life. God, I thank you for illuminating uh, things in our life, uh, areas in our life, God, situations in our life. God, where you love us, but you're just not pleased with what's happening there. And so, God, you've taken the word this morning and you've, you've allowed us to apply it to our life, God, where change might be brought about, where we might leave in a different direction than the way we came in. Father, we want to be a congregation, a body, a family, that is dedicated, devoted, and directed by you. And so, Father, I pray this morning as men and women raise their hand, they said, God, that's me. Man, there's areas where I've got a hint of Herod in my heart. And God, I pray that as they prayed, Lord, change me. Lord, change me. Help me. Help me to have a, a, a different outlook. Help me to serve people who sometimes I just overlook. God, help me to be a servant to them. Help me to share the love and the service of Christ to them, especially during this season. And God, let us not just celebrate Christmas, but let us experience Christmas today. And so, Father, I ask your blessing on every heart and life, God, who responded to your word this morning. God, may we never be the same. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen.